0: Our reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Just a few words of introduction before we get to that passage. This is the second in a mini, mini, mini series on Galatians, just two Sundays. Last week we saw Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14, where we understood this idea that our salvation comes to us because we have faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It doesn't come about because of our works. And Paul makes a warning in chapter 3 that if you start believing that the works can help save you, the works of the law, you'll be required to keep the entirety of the law and to, and to keep it perfectly. So once you go down that path, you're going to have to be dominated by that path. On the other hand, he says, if you approach this with faith, you're free. You have a new life in Christ and you don't have to add any work to what Christ has done. We ended with this idea that Jesus really was the only person who was able to keep the law perfectly all his life. In fact, he was the author of the law, but he was also able to keep it perfectly, despite the fact that he was human. He earned salvation by keeping the law. But when the time came for him to be rewarded with that salvation, he didn't want it. He didn't want the BMW. He said, let all my friends have that. I'll take a grounding. I'll take the punishment that they deserved. And there at the cross we had that great exchange where everything that Jesus had, his righteousness and his blessedness, became ours. And everything that was ours, our cursedness, our sin, our brokenness, and our condemnation, became his. That's the great exchange. We also saw that Paul was writing to correct some misleading information that was being spread by missionaries who had come to Galatia after he had left, and we were preaching a gospel that was substantially different than the gospel he had preached. He was so mad about it. He said, even if an angel from heaven would come and preach to you a gospel different from the one that I'm preaching to you, let that angel be cursed. He was serious. He was angry about this. What these other missionaries had come and preached after Paul left was that you needed to do more than just receive your salvation by faith. You needed to start doing some things that looked a lot like Jewish customs and law-keeping. In chapter 4, we find that they had probably been told that they needed to, these Gentile converts to Christianity needed to start keeping Jewish festivals, like Passover and, and the Festival of the Booths and uh, Hanukkah and all the rest. In chapter 5, we're going to find that Paul is now addressing another behavior, a law-keeping behavior, that these missionaries have asked the Galatians to do. And they probably haven't done it yet because it was a really big step. And they may have even sent word to Paul saying, before we take this big step, maybe we should check with you, is this the right thing? Because it was a big step. The step that Paul's talking about, and he's going to address in chapter 5, is circumcision. These missionaries had told all the men in the Christian church in Galatia that to fully be identified with Christ and become Christians, the men in the church had to become circumcised. Now, you know, as a, if you do this to a child, it's probably pretty painful, and they don't remember it, and, and later in life, they, they don't really know anything about it. It's quite a different thing for a grown man to undergo this circumcision. And so, the, But the fact that they were contemplating even going that far meant that they were pretty taken with what these missionaries were asking them to do. And so Paul is clearing it up in as clear a language as he can, We find in Galatians chapter 5, in the verses that we're going to look at, the most dire warning about salvation that you can find in all of the scripture. The most dire and strong warning about salvation that you can find in all of the scripture. I'll leave it to you to find it as we read. So Paul identifies circumcision in our passage as something that is Being asked or commanded of these Christians to do to make their identity in Christ complete, to keep laws even though they're saved by faith. So, with that introduction, let's go ahead and look at our reading Galatians 5 1 through 6. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would add your blessing to it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the late 50s, the Russians launched Sputnik, this tiny little satellite, like a ball with some antennas sticking out of it. And that really sent America in a tizzy because we had already started losing the space race. And there was this huge sense in America that we must be behind in math and science and engineering. And so in a lot of schools around this country, something was introduced called new math. Anyone here experienced new math as a child? Yeah. Let's put up the picture. We have a, when that came out, Charles Schultz put out a comic strip. This is about contemporary, contemporary with when New Math came out. Here's little Sally sitting at her desk. And New Math was conceptually about sets and set theory, combining sets, renaming sets, empty sets, something that a third grader just really wouldn't get, right? And to be honest, they're Some of their teachers had no idea what it was about either, but they were expecting them to teach it. So here's Sally sets, one to one matching, equivalent sets, non equivalent sets, sets of one, sets of two, renaming sets, subsets, joining sets, number sentences, placeholders. Then finally, in frustration, she says, All I want to know is how much is two and two. We can cover it up again. Thanks. That was the new math, it was a failure. A a few years later, they went back to regular math, and the people who were um, subjected to new math were even further behind, so this thing ended up doing the opposite of what it was hoping to do. It put kids even further behind in math. In our reading today, Paul introduces new math. But I'm going to call it new new math so you don't confuse it with that math. It's actually older than the new math, but I'm going to call it new new math. There's new, new math in our reading today, Galatians 5, 1 through 6. And here's, there's only three parts to new, new math, and here's how it goes. New, new math, the first rule of of new, new math is 1 plus 1 equals 0. Okay, that's rule 1. Rule 2 is this, 1 plus 0 equals infinity. That's rule two. All right, you with me? You're all like, he's crazy. The third rule of new, new math is one plus one, and if I had another arm, but I'll just act like I do, plus one, one plus one plus one equals freedom. One plus one plus one equals freedom. That's the new, new math. Now, you really wouldn't want to trust your life to new, new math. You wouldn't want me to take new, new math and build a skyscraper for you to live in. You wouldn't want me to take new, new math and design a jumbo jet for you to fly to Australia in. Any takers? No. You don't want me to take new, new math and test the strength of a seatbelt in a child's car seat. You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't trust your life to new, new math. But you should trust your soul. You should trust your eternal life to new, new math. You'll see why soon. Let's go to our text. So I want to unpack what Paul has for us here. Because he's preaching into us. And we need to stand with him and hear what he has to say. He starts in chapter 5, verse 1, with this idea of freedom and slavery. Actually, the first verse of chapter 5 is capping off something that happened earlier. And some people think that the chapter really should start at verse 2. But I think, it's, I, think I like it here. It's about freedom. freedom has, for freedom that Christ has set us free do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The old way of life is that you think you can earn your salvation by doing the law and Paul has warned them. He says, if you start thinking that way, you're going to have to keep the whole law. Forever will it dominate your path. All right. If you you get on that horse of the law and you want to ride it, you will be unable to get off that horse. You're going to have to keep riding that horse and you're going to have to keep keeping the law, and what he says is that trying to do that is slavery, because the law becomes your master, and your every action is dictated by the law, and you find that even though you want to get off, you can't, and you can't even keep all the law, and so you stand even more under its condemnation all the time. It's slavery with no hope of freedom. On the other hand, he says be free, Be free in what the Spirit has for you. The Spirit sets you free from law-keeping in ways that we'll see later. Look at verse 2, and this is maybe what you might have noticed. This is the strongest warning in the Bible about your salvation. You might underline it or make a note in your margin. The strongest warning in your Bible about salvation is here in verse 2. I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Do we want to be in a place where Christ is of no value, none to us? Do we want to be in a place where Christ, as other translations say, is of no benefit to us? That's what it means. Do we want to be in that place? Danger. That's a dangerous place to be. I don't want to be in a place where Christ is of no benefit to me. This is dangerous stuff. Verse 3. Again, this is a recap of chapter 3. I tell you, if you want to be circumcised, you're obligated to obey the entire law. Once you get on that, you can't get off of it. When he's talking about circumcision here, he's talking not necessarily about the physical act, although it was a physical act. It was the thinking that I can do something that will affect my salvation. I can do some work. We could translate it into the modern time now, and we could say, whatever it is you think it is, it could be a a spiritual discipline that's life-giving good like prayer or fasting or reading your Bible or meditation. What if I say this? I, Paul, tell you that if you think that reading your Bible will get you to heaven, Christ will be of no value to you. If you should read your Bible, don't get me wrong, absolutely, this is a church that preaches that you should read your Bible. But if you think that reading your Bible completes God's work in some way, or makes your identity in Christ whole in a way that Christ can't. If you think reading your Bible equals your salvation, there's a warning here. You will, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And once you start that law-keeping activity, you have to keep doing it all the days of your life. You'll be in slavery to it. Verse 4, you're trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. The New Revised Standard Version says, instead of alienated from Christ, it says cut off from Christ. It's as if this cord that separates or uh, com- connects you to Christ, you take out these giant scissors when they open a new building and you cut this cord off right there. By your law-keeping behavior, you are cutting yourselves off from Christ and His benefits that He gives you. Warning after warning after warning. A full three verses of warning. Don't do this. Don't cut yourself off from Christ. Don't fall from grace. This is heavy, heavy language. I don't want to fall out of grace. We don't want to fall out of grace. Verse 5. But it's not by works of the law. It's not by keeping the laws, the seasons, the, the festivals. It's not by observing circumcision. But by faith. We eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. That righteousness that we want, that we think is the result of law keeping, only comes through faith. This is an excellent definition of faith. Faith is that thing in which we eagerly await through the Spirit righteousness and hope. That's a great definition. You can make a mark in your Bible there too. Here's a great definition of faith. Galatians 5.5. 5. Faith is this thing in which we eagerly await Righteousness through the Spirit, and it's something that we hope for. It's an excellent definition of faith. Let's go back to the math. In these slim five verses here, Paul has laid out the new, new math. And let's look at how he does that. Let's go back to rule one. One plus one equals zero. Paul's saying this. If you take Christ's one work... And you add it to it your one work. Call it uh, circumcision or any other thing that we might add to it. Normal math says you add things together, you get more. But new, new math says if you take Christ's one work and your one work, you get zero. You get no value at all. Now this is hard to think of it that way, right? How can adding things together equal zero? This is more like subtracting. That's exactly Paul's point. If you try to add your work to Christ's work, it all gets subtracted out and becomes zero. There is no value there. You have have given up your salvation. You you can't add anything to it. If we look at Mormon theology, one of the standard things that a Mormon would say, and I've spoken to Mormons and they'll say this, and and they're very proud of it, is their formulation for salvation is this. God saves us after... Anybody? Anybody? You know, God saves us after all we can do. That's how they put it. They're essentially saying, God can do so much, and then we do the rest, or we do a little bit, and then God does the rest. It really doesn't matter. They're adding these things together, and at the other end, out comes salvation. For them, one plus one equals two, which is normal math. This is new, new math. Paul's new, new math says it. No. Our Christ's work, if we try to add anything to that, the whole thing goes away. You know, this only makes sense if we were all of a sudden to stop right where we are right now, and I want you to come with me in your imagination. Imagine that you are present on Good Friday, thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away. In the middle of the night, Jesus is taken from the garden by a band of soldiers, and you follow him. And he's judged in front of the authorities. And you follow him to the place where the soldiers strip him of his clothes. And beat him. And ridicule him. And whip him. And put a crown of thorns on him. And leave him bloody and bruised and broken. And you follow him as he goes from that place carrying his cross to the place where he collapses out of exhaustion. And somebody else carries it. And you follow that procession all the way out to Calvary. And you see as the soldiers take Jesus and they put him on the cross and they nail his hands and his feet to the cross in excruciating pain and they raise him up in the air and there he is, bleeding and dying and wretched and broken. And you understand in that moment, just before he dies, that not only is his body being broken, but the entire sins of the whole world are being placed on his shoulders, and all the condemnation is crushing him to death. And in that moment, you take out a ladder, and you lean it up to one of the arms of the cross, and you gingerly step up rung by rung until you're eye to eye with your Savior, and you look at him in the face, And you see his eyes barely because they're swollen and bloody. And you tell your Savior, I really appreciate what you're doing here. This really means a lot to me. This is great. But it's not quite enough for me. I've sinned enough so that I know that what you're doing here isn't really going to cover all of that. So someday later, Jesus, as much as I love what you're doing here, I'm going to have to add something to this. So that I can be saved. We would never say that to Jesus. We would never say it. What an insult. What an insult to say to the Son of God as he's hanging there on the cross this isn't enough. It's not enough. I'm going to have to add something to it later. We would never say that. I believe that this is why Paul is so angry. Because that's what the missionaries, in in essence, were saying to the Galatians. Christ's sacrifice alone was not enough. You have to add something to it. You have to add circumcision to it. You have to add festivals and feasts and observations. You have to add something that you think will save you in addition to what Christ has done for you. That is an insult to our Lord. Don't go there. It's such an insult that God says, If you take what Jesus has, His one, and you try to add your one to it, You're not even going to get the first thing, and you're going to get zero. Christ will be of no value to you. One plus one equals zero. The second rule of new math is that one plus zero equals infinity. This is really the corollary of the first law. If you take Christ's one work and you add to it nothing... You have infinity. You have everything that God promises. You have infinite grace. You have infinite righteousness. You have what Christ has. You have infinite freedom over crushing slavery. You have infinite joy over despair. You have everything. You don't need to add anything to that. So only when we give up thinking that we can save ourselves... Only then do we get everything. Only then does one plus zero equal infinity. That's the rule number two. And the final rule is this. Remember that one plus one plus one equals freedom. Now, these aren't the same ones as the first two rules. These aren't about works. These are about things that we understand about grace and keeping of the law. I like to think of them as three legs on a stool, if you have a three-legged stool and you miss one leg, the whole stool is going to fall over. If you're missing two legs, it's going to fall over even faster. If it's missing all three legs, you're just going to land on your bottom really hard. All right? So you want not only do you want all three legs, you, want, you can't have zero, one, or two. You have to have three. These are the three things. The first leg of our stool, and we saw it in Galatians 3, is this. Is that you don't need to do anything to earn your salvation. You don't need to because Christ has done it all. That work up on the cross, really we should go up that ladder and say, Jesus, this is everything I need. All, I, don't, I can't add anything to it. So the first one is don't need to add anything to the cross. The second is that you can't. You can't do it. If you start thinking that you can, Paul warns us, That once you start down that road, you can't get out of it, and you're going to have to keep the entire law perfectly all the time for the rest of your life in a form of slavery. You can't do it. So the first is you don't need to do it. The second is that you can't do it. And the third leg of this stool is that if you try to, you won't get it at all. Don't need to, can't do it, don't try, or you won't get it. Strong warnings in there. One plus one. Plus one equals freedom. Freedom is so important here. It's so important to Paul. It's so important to us. Freedom here is really freedom from having to worry about the law. In Eastern religions, we'll talk about karma, this enlightened view of good and evil, where you keep track of all the bad things you've done and you try to do some good things to counteract them. That's slavery. That's not enlightenment and joy and peace. That's slavery. What Paul is telling us is we're free from that worry. We have freedom to stop keeping track of our own sins. It sounds kind of crazy. Imagine if I were to keep track of every sin I committed. First off, I don't think I can do that because I'm sure there's some sins I'm committing without even realizing it, right? But say that would just be a full-time, writing, full-time job writing down all the sins that I've done. Then if I were going to try to counteract them by say going maybe run out and help somebody cross the street to counteract one of them, I would probably sin on the way there, so I'd have to take a note of that. And then helping them across the street, I might sin. My whole time would be spent balancing these scales, obsessing over this and worrying about this. The freedom here is freedom from having to keep track of that. It's to free our time and our lives and the space of our lives to live into the world that God wants us to live into. That's what that freedom is. It's freedom to live. It's freedom to love the people God has put into our lives. It's freedom to enjoy the life that God has given us. It's freedom to serve the world in the ways God wants us to serve so that we can send his kingdom everywhere into this world. And ultimately, it's the freedom to die. When you have this freedom, on the last day of your life, you can go to your maker in complete peace and serenity, And say, no matter what I've done in my life, it's covered. Because Christ's one plus my nothing is everything. God will take care of me. You are a really dangerous person when you're free. Now think about that. If you're free like this, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to be afraid of anything Mostly this is a freedom from fear. If I'm free and I have everything taken care of because God has done it through Jesus Christ on the cross, I I don't have to be afraid of any conversation that I have about anything. I don't have to be afraid of any person. I don't have to be afraid of any government. I don't have to be afraid of bees or wasps or snakes or public speaking, although you could be afraid of public speaking because everybody is, evidently. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of death. Nothing can shake what you have. And when you've got nothing to lose, you can be incredibly dangerous for God and do amazing things for him. One plus one plus one is freedom. What about the law? Do we still need it? Paul asks himself that question rhetorically in several places. Absolutely, we still need it. We still need the law, because when we fail, the law tells us we do. The law is our schoolteacher. It shows us our own failings so that we can repent. When we understand the law, we climb down that ladder from being face-to-face with Christ, and we kneel at the foot of the cross, and we let the blood coming out of Jesus pour over us and wash us completely clean. The law tells us that we need Jesus and we find finally if we wrap it up that it's the spirit that balances this all out for us through the spirit we're able to do things that we're not able to do we're not capable of it in fact the spirit makes a law keeper out of us if you look later on in chapter 5 of galatians paul talks about what kinds of fruits or consequences that the spirit brings to a believer's life what kind of things come out of a believer when the Spirit is in them. I think you know this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then he follows up with this thing that ties it all together. He says, against such things there is no law. When you have the fruits of the Spirit, when the Spirit transforms you, out of you comes all sorts of things against which there are no laws. Out of you comes all sorts of things which are the definition of law-keeping. But it's not you doing it anymore. It's the Spirit working through you. Somebody else doing it through us. That's true freedom. When you're under the law, you're the slave of the law. You have to keep keeping the law. You have to keep keeping the law. You have to keep keeping the law. Keep on keeping on keeping on and forever. It will be your master forever. But Jesus Christ died on the cross so we could have freedom from that law. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from the devil. So that we could have joy and peace in this new life and be afraid of nothing and be incredibly dangerous for God. Freedom is this. One plus one equals zero. One plus zero equals infinity. One plus one plus one equals freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his work on the cross. Remind us never to try to add anything to what he's done, but to fully receive the freedom that he gives us in that place. Amen.